Today on Stick to Football, that's right, a little bit of a different voice to bring you into the show today. No Matt, he is out sick. I will be riding solo for this show, unless I decide to randomly maybe call some people or someone pops in this studio. But a really good show planned for you today, coming off a great weekend down in Atlanta with Johnsonville, with Sean Alexander at the SEC Championship. We had a really good time. We saw some magic from Joe Burrow, and we saw LSU officially clinch that number one spot for the college football playoff. And speaking of LSU, the Heisman finalists are out, and that will be highlighted by Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow very much expected to take this trophy home. It might be surprising if anyone votes for anyone but Joe Burrow in that number one spot for the Heisman Trophy. But he will not be in New York alone. He will be joined by Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, Chase Young from Ohio State, hashtag defense for Heisman, and Justin Fields from Ohio State. So the Buckeyes getting two players as Heisman finalists here. No Jonathan Taylor, which I think is really interesting. I think if Wisconsin had won the Big Ten, I think Taylor would have gotten an appearance there. And at the end of the day, you could argue he still deserved one. It's a tough break for Taylor, who finishes right now with over 1,900 rushing yards in what is expected to be his final season at Wisconsin, 21 rushing touchdowns. Those rushing yards and rushing touchdowns are both second in the country. So phenomenal season for him, a guy that we're going to talk about nonstop in this really, really good running back class. But when you look at this Heisman group, I mean, we have to start with Joe Burrow and what a magical season for him. And this doesn't have to be as a draft prospect because there's plenty of time for that. There's no doubt about that. He will be a 23-year-old quarterback prospect expected to be the number one overall pick to the Cincinnati Bengals who, as this list goes on and on, on on the old good old tankathon.com, it doesn't really seem like uh, anyone but the Bengals. Maybe the Giants are in the picture, but the Bengals should have that number one pick. And Back to Burrow, I mean, 48 passing touchdowns this year, only six interceptions. He's thrown for 4,715 yards. LSU is undefeated. LSU is projected to win the national title. That's, you know, the next big hurdle here for Burrow. And really a gigantic, uh, not a gigantic hurdle as they get Oklahoma in the first, moving up to the first seed, as we'll get Clemson and Ohio State in the other game. This is an LSU team that should steamroll Oklahoma. It would be a shocking upset if they didn't, and a lot of that is due to Burrow and the steps he's taken this year. This is a really, really good LSU offense, whether you have Chase and Jefferson at wide receiver, whether you have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at running back, a good offensive line that has some veterans. And I think when you look at just what Burrow has done as a whole in this offense, thanks to some reconstructing from Joe Brady there, He's thrived. They've really moved into a modern era offense, a lot of spread concepts. It's a very different LSU team, and it's helped Burrow take the next steps and why when you look at what's been a magical season for him, highlighted by some incredible plays. I mean, when you look at the SEC championship, just his ability to move in and outside the pocket, throw the football down the field, even some of the drops were some of his best throws of the season on that Saturday evening. I think it's been an incredible season for Joe Burrow. It's only going to get better for him for here on out, assuming they can you know, win in the semis and possibly win a national title, but most importantly for him to go number one overall. But let's Let's talk about some of the other guys that will be in New York. Jalen Hurts goes to Oklahoma, kind of redeems his career as a quarterback, a guy that Alabama wanted to stay. They wanted him to potentially move to running back. He says, listen, I'm not doing that. 
I'm a quarterback. I'm going with the best quarterback guru in the country, and that's Lincoln Riley. And for Hurts, I think we've seen a little bit of everything this year. I think there's times where he's shown that he's still obviously not a perfect quarterback prospect. I think the arm strength is just okay at times. I think he tries to play hero ball a lot. There is some questionable decision-making at times. He's not a, a runner like a lot of people have classified him to be in the mold of a player like Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson, but he's still a guy that moves very well and can run the football. And for him, once again, this Oklahoma team that's 12-1 and right now, he does deserve to be there because he's taken an offense where there was high expectations. When you look at what Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray did, both winning Heisman trophies, both being number one overall picks under Lincoln Riley. Now Jalen Hurts is the guy that he won't win the Heisman. He won't go number one, but he had a phenomenal season for Oklahoma. He improved his draft stock by a couple of rounds, which is pretty significant. And somebody that should go to the Senior Bowl to really cement his stock and to show teams that he wants to be out there to compete, that he has a lot left to prove, that he can work with coaching staffs and coaching staffs at the Senior Bowl that should have interest in quarterbacks, especially if the Bengals is one of them. It's gonna, And listen, coaches talk to each other. So you're not auditioning there just for one or two teams. You're really auditioning for everyone. So once again, a really good season for Jalen Hurts, and it's exciting to see him there. But the guy that I'm happiest for out of this group, even more so than Joe Burrow, is Chase Young. Because for a defensive player to get that Heisman invite and defy the odds, it, it's truly impressive as this has turned into really a quarterback and running back award. It's either the best quarterback or best running back on the best team in the country. And I understand why Joe Burrow is going to win this award. It, you can't convince me that he's not worthy of it. He is the guy. If anyone doesn't vote for him, they're absolutely insane. But Chase Young... Missing two games due to a wacky, fluky suspension. 16 and a half sacks. He plays in the Big Ten. He leads the country in sacks. He's the best defensive player in the country. He's the best draft prospect in this entire class. Chase Young deserves to be there. And I hope this sets a trend that more defensive players do get the recognition they deserve. Where I can almost make the argument that there should be at least one defensive player invited to the Heisman the Heisman ceremony every single year. Whoever the best, whoever had the best defensive season in the country should go. And, and last year, that would have been a guy like Josh Allen from Kentucky that had a ton of sacks, I believe just maybe two less than Chase Young did. And, and I think it's something where they need to show if they want this award to be recognized as the best player in college football, then you do need to have a defensive player represent there because otherwise it's just going to be viewed as a quarterback or running back award, and then you need to change the definition of the award. So a really good job here getting him there. I don't think that was a very difficult decision, and one that also wasn't a difficult decision is probably having his teammate Justin Fields there. When you look at the numbers quarterbacks are producing in this Ryan Day offense, whether it's Dwayne Haskins and now Justin Fields, it makes you laugh to think that it could have been Joe Burrow even last year or even this year. But Justin Fields, a lot of people probably don't even realize this. He's thrown 40 touchdowns and one interception. A 40 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. That is unbelievably hard to do. And I think for a quarterback that's in his first year as a starter, it's even more impressive. And he ran for 10 touchdowns. So you're talking about 50 total touchdowns. 
for a first-year starter. Now, this is an offense that is constructed wonderfully. I think it's well-coached. I think J.K. Dobbins is one of the best running backs in the country. They have a really deep group of wide receivers, especially with Alave and Hill. They've done a, a fantastic job. They have tight ends that can contribute in the pass game. The offensive line is not only well-coached but well-developed no matter how many bodies they lose every year. But when you start to open the door for Heisman Talk next year, it starts with Justin Fields. And Trevor Lawrence has finished this year on a high note. Trevor Lawrence is right in that picture as well. There's no doubt about that. But I I like that Justin Fields will be there because, listen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Chase Young, they're going to be playing in the NFL next year. To have a future, a now and future college star on that podium is really, really good for college football and was the right call. One more thing from the Around the League, our opening segment here. Obviously, the Patriots, the taping incident with Cincinnati, a lot of different opinions on this. But at the end of the day, New England has released the statement that they are taking responsibility for this. Now, how this goes down is essentially this video crew was not part of the football operations. And for what a lot of people that means is they were most likely an external freelance crew hired for the media department working on this feature about a scouting feature. Now, there will be people that don't believe that. There will be people that do. Uh, whatever side you sit on, I think they're, it's pretty hard to ultimately pick a side without having your hands on that videotape and how obvious it was and how long it was shot for. They're saying the first quarter. They're saying it was shot of the team on the sideline of signals. That's all to be determined by the NFL. But I think the most noteworthy thing we can discuss right now is that New England is getting out in front of it and saying, listen, while this wasn't a video operations team in our football department, this was a in a team hired crew that made an honest mistake. And whether you believe that's honest is another question, but they are owning it. I think the question people will now wonder as the NFL does their investigation of how severe this is will be the punishment. And to get out in front of this, that can range from something as simple as a fine of maybe 50000 200000 250000 It could range all the way to a first-round pick. It depends how significant. And we have evidence of things like this in the past to point to. It can maybe only be a third-round pick. There's a lot of different ways this can go. There's no conclusion right now. But it's very interesting, once again, that New England didn't necessarily fight this. Maybe it's the right option for them to go if they truly think it was just an accident and it can reduce the overall penalty. But this is a story that's not going to go away anytime soon once again. All right, we're going to take a break here. When I get back, we're going to do a head coaching candidates preview. All the top head coaching candidates and one team that'll be looking for one to pair with them. All right, I am back here. Still getting used to being solo. God, I actually miss Matt, even though I've spent the entire season with him. But going to break down all the top head coaching candidates. I know we've done a little bit of this on fixing the teams. Going to wait till Matt's back to obviously do that together to continue that segment. But a little overall run-through as it becomes clear what teams are going to have openings, what guys are expected to get interviews, And I think we need to start with the elephant in the room, and that is Lincoln Riley. And when you look at this situation, Lincoln Riley has probably been the hottest name in coaching circles for well over a year now. There were teams that checked in with Lincoln Riley last year to see if there was any interest in getting him out of Oklahoma. There was none at the time. 
if you ask around a lot of different people, whether it's area scouts near that Oklahoma team, whether it's front office executives, they will tell you the general feeling with Lincoln Riley is the only team he would be willing to listen to at this moment is the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the one issue that existed before this NFL season was nobody really thought the Dallas Cowboys job would open up in the near future. This is a loaded roster. They got Ezekiel Elliott back into the fold. Dak Prescott was taking the necessary steps to be their franchise quarterback, which he certainly has. And the Jones family has always been very patient and very loyal to Jason Garrett. Now, a lot has changed this year. A couple embarrassing losses for the Dallas Cowboys, whether you want to start with the one against the New York Jets, the one against the Bears on Thursday night football. I think when you look at it, it's come down to it where it almost feels like the inevitable of this year, unless they miraculously make a Super Bowl run, that Jason Garrett will be moving on, or I should say the Jones family will be moving on from him and looking for a head coach for the first time in a very, very long time. And and I think the guy in all of this has to be Lincoln Riley. I I think we've heard Urban Meyer's name thrown into the mix. I know on this show specifically we've said, listen, Matt Rule's down there. Matt Rule's a Northeast guy, but he's down there at Baylor right now. I mean, you can get a good look at him whenever you want and what he's done with that program, which he's done a phenomenal job. And that's the second program he's rebuilt, starting with Temple, doing it at Baylor. He actually has some NFL experience. He was on the Giants coaching staff. But when you go down the list and you look at Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer is a football legend. Does he want the NFL at this point of his life? And if you're the Dallas Cowboys, this always feels like a job to me now, at least, especially with the core they've put in place. Are you hiring a guy that's a Band-Aid hire? Urban Meyer is, will be 56 years old next year and has, had, has walked away twice due to overall health issues. I think when it comes down to it, that's not the guy for the Cowboys. I think the, the system they've built in place, the stability they have, whether it's the Jones family working with a phenomenal, phenomenal personnel man in Will McClay, who is essentially the GM of the team, and the roster they've built with a lot of young pieces – You have Tank Lawrence signed up for the long term. You're going to get Dak Prescott done. You have Zeke Elliott. You have a good offensive line. Even if the offensive line will need some retooling in a couple years, at the end of the day, it's a very, very good group. I think you go get the guy that's the young guy that can really build a dominant offense. Lincoln Riley's 36 years old. He won't turn turn 37 until week one of the NFL season next year. If he has any interest, which there's been a lot of buzz that he does in possibly leaving Oklahoma for this job, you open the checkbook and you get it done. It's as simple as that. I think he'd take the offense to a next level. I think Dak Prescott would absolutely thrive under him, especially if you have a a duo of Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup there. Ezekiel Elliott has, has not been the same guy this year, but he's still a very, very capable starting running back, probably in the upper tier of backs. This is just a no-brainer to me. I don't think it's a difficult choice. I think the question everyone has to answer is, will Lincoln take the job? And if I'm just going by gut feeling, I think this is a job he listens to. I think it's a really good opportunity. I think it offers the two most important things that he's looking for. One, being a roster that can win NFL football games. And two, security. He will get long-term money. 
that it doesn't matter what happens. He will get a long-term contract where he'll be given time to build things the way he needs to. And this family, the Jones family in football, is one of the most patient, maybe the most patient owners in the entire league. So that, that's it for Lincoln Riley. That's the team. Next up, the New York Giants. Uh, I guess you could say, some people will say a crushing loss on Monday Night Football. This is a good loss for the Giants. You don't want to fall away from that Chase Young sweepstakes. You want that to be the guy. If there is anything we've learned this year, and most of us already knew this, but it has only become more highlighted and illuminated, Pat Shermer cannot coach in the NFL in a game situation. Whether it's having no idea how to use timeouts, challenges, calling plays at the right times, it's an absolute mess. I think Pat Shermer is a guy that can be or has been a good offensive coordinator and good with quarterbacks in this league. I think the problem with the NFL right now, there has become a significant gray area, a very, very cloudy situation of a guy that can run an offense and a guy that can coach an NFL team. And I think you see it across the league right now. You saw it year one already with Zach Taylor. Maybe he'll improve. He has plenty of time to show so. You've seen it with Adam Gase for years right now. I think on the flip side, you've seen two guys that are NFL head coaches, not offensive masterminds. They are NFL masterminds, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. People need to distinguish the difference between those two. Pat Shermer falls into the former bucket, and the Giants need to go get a CEO of this football team, and that's Matt Rule. It it really is for me. I I look at Matt Rule – He's this kind of coach that he's coached with the Giants before. Once again, he's front, He's a Northeast guy. I think he'd love this job. I think it's a direction where it's not an old man hire for the New York Giants, but it's also not going against something the Mars are a little unwilling to do, and that's hire a 30-year-old, 30-something-year-old. Matt Rule is the perfect guy right in the middle for the New York Giants that can rebuild this defense, probably be very good, uh, build a very good environment for a young developing quarterback in Daniel Jones. And he's somebody where if you hire him, the New York Giants are not going to be in the playoffs next year. But with the amount of losing seasons in dramatic fashion, the Giants are piling up. It pays to be patient. And that's why I look at their situation and really find that Matt Rule is the guy. And the next guy is someone else that will constantly be mentioned for the Giants and would be a good hire is Ron Rivera, and Rivera is going to get another job next year. He is not going to have to take a year off like Mike McCarthy. This was not a situation in Carolina where he lost the team. It was nothing like that. It was that a new owner wanted his guy, wanted new life, wanted to go in a different direction. Ron Rivera will be a highly sought-after candidate, and the three guys I've started with here are probably the top three guys, or three of the top guys. Lincoln Riley, Matt Rule, Ron Rivera. Now, the perfect match to me for Ron Rivera is a team that it is very up in the air if they will have a vacant head coaching spot, and that is the Cleveland Browns. I checked in with a lot of people this weekend, and they still would be surprised if Freddie Kitchens is fired. Now, there is a lot of time left. There's a lot of valuating left to do, but the fact that he is a first-year coach... The fact that this was somebody that Dorsey felt comfortable hiring, this is somebody Baker Mayfield put his name behind, they, there is a feeling there that Freddie Kitchen should be given the opportunity to develop. Now, play calling is something that can be taken away from him because, once again, Freddie Kitchens falls into the bucket of a good offensive play caller, not an NFL head coach. 
Now, if this Browns job does open up, which I believe it should, although once again, there is not a ton of optimism right now that it necessarily will, Ron Rivera is the guy that can come in and straighten out that situation, especially if he can bring a veteran offensive coordinator with him for Baker Mayfield and this offense. So once again, Ron Rivera and the Browns, I think that's a match made in heaven. We'll see what happens. Number four on this list of head coaching candidates, starting with somebody from Kyle Shanahan's staff. Finally, this guy deserves it uh, very much so. Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. This is another guy I feel very confident will get a job. At a minimum, he should get a couple of interviews. And the reason I say he should get a job is because he will interview very well. He has great energy. He's very good in a locker room or with executives. He's somebody that's transformed this defense. Kyle Shanahan did not give up on him during early struggles in San Francisco, and it's paid off. Look at what that young defense has done, whether it's Nick, everybody up front is phenomenal. Fred Warner at linebacker, the veteran guy and Richard Sherman in the secondary. Uh, this is a defense that has really, really gelled this year, and Sal is a guy that a lot of people are very high on. Now, the question with him is, as you look across the league, is what team would be willing to hire a defensive coordinator. This is a league that, when it comes down to it, has started to trend in a direction of young, innovative offensive minds. Some of them have failed miserably. Some of them have worked out phenomenally. You look at Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, those guys are having a lot of success right now. We could be here all day of the guys that did not. And I think when you look at Salah, one place that does kind of add up right now is Jacksonville. Jacksonville has fallen into an absolute mess. I don't think they're a team that'll sit there and go, we have to hire an offensive guy as much as they'll be developing Gardner Minshew for the future most likely. I think Sal is somebody that can come in there that would be willing to go there. Ownership is held in very high regard amongst the league. And I think it would be a fit where he has a lot of pieces on that young defense, a lot of draft capital to work with that Jacksonville can eventually get right back on track. Now, they're going to have to wait out the Nick Foles deal, which is always going to be a significant problem. When you look at Yannick Nagakwe, that's going to be a situation where can they find a middle ground and find a way to extend him, or do they have to trade him for more draft assets? But at the end of the day, you need someone to come in there. You need new blood. Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone. They got to move on from these guys. They need new energy, and Sala is an energy kind of guy. Next up, not straying too far, we're staying with the 49ers staff. This is Mike McDaniel. This is Kyle Shanahan's guy. This has always been Kyle Shanahan's guy. Mike McDaniel was on that legendary Washington staff that had Sean McVay, Matt, Matt LaFleur, McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan all on the same staff. Unbelievable to think about that just about, I think, seven years ago or eight years ago. But when you look at McDaniel, he is a run game mastermind, an absolute engineer of the run game. Now, why? Well, he's been next to the Shanahan's for how long now? And he's somebody that when he gets brought up in head coaching conversations, the problem was there was a... a bit of time where Mike reportedly had a drinking problem. I believe it was during Atlanta where he was able to rehab, get his life back on track, and he has been, you know, booze-free for quite some time now, for quite a few years. And you look at what this guy, he number one, he's loved by players, absolutely loved by players. 
And I think he's universally very well liked across the board. Now, will he light up a room like a guy like Salah or Rule or any of those kind of high energy guys? He won't. He's not that kind of guy. But is he brilliant? Absolutely. A brilliant, brilliant orchestrator of offense. And I go to a franchise that has not been able to develop a run game for one of the most underrated quarterbacks of the last decade. That is the Detroit Lions. Matt Stafford, he's been hurt this year. I don't know how he does it every year with absolutely no run game aiding him. But I look at what McDaniel can do. He can come in there. They have pieces on the offensive line. They can get this thing right long-term for Stafford and what's left of his career where I know there's been a lot of people saying, man, can they trade him so Stafford can go thrive somewhere else? He's only 31 years old right now. And I think for the Lions, I think when you look at it right now, you, you stick with him, obviously, and you find a coach that can help him. Matt Patricia was not that guy. That's the problem here. Matt Patricia was not the coach to aid Matt Stafford. Matt Patricia was the coach to bring in this very serious culture, build this defense, and Stafford carries the offense. And I don't think that's very fair. And that's why if McDaniel can come in an interview and have the hiring power to get a defensive coordinator that could be the head coach of the defense, this is a match that would make a lot of sense for both sides. But it would take a bold hire from the Lions. This would be a bold, bold hire. All right, next up, the Atlanta Falcons. Another team that's very interesting because... They have a roster that can hang with anyone, but they have not been well coached this year. They've been hit by injuries the last couple years, hit by injuries again as they lose Calvin Ridley for the rest of the season. Julio Jones has been banged up. I think when you look at this, though, one of the guys that is going to get interviews that really deserves a shot here is Greg Roman for what he's done in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson what he did in Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor, what he's done over the years with a lot of offenses, with a lot of mobile quarterbacks. Now you're going to sit there and say, well, that's not Matt Ryan. But Greg Roman's not a guy that has to have a quarterback that can run. He's a guy that can help develop a run game and open up things for the quarterback in the pass game. And I think when you look at Roman, he's somebody that has been significantly underrated across the league. I'm sure Rex Ryan firing him undeservingly, probably hurt his reputation a little bit, which was very wrong. I believe he fired him after a game where the Bills scored 31 points and had 400 yards of offense or something along those lines. I just think when you look at Roman for what he's done with the young quarterbacks and how he's gone in and orchestrated teams that could simply score points and control the football or hit the big play, they could do it both ways. I think Roman's somebody that has to come up in conversations. And when you look at Atlanta right now, I think with how things have gone with Dan Quinn, they will go back to a guy on offense. They will look for somebody that can come in, much like the Lions should do. They have a veteran quarterback, develop the run game. Get a team that can score points again. We were just there at Mercedes-Benz. That is the most impressive stadium I have ever been to. And they can really try to get the uh, maybe the greatest show on turf 2.0 2.0 here back in, well, not back in Atlanta, but invented in Atlanta. All right, moving down the line, Kevin Stefanski from the Minnesota Vikings. When you look at him, this is someone that's a bit of a mystery guy right now. He's 37 years old. He's the offensive coordinator of a team that is thriving with Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins and good wide receivers. 
He's somebody that is once again going to get interviews, somebody that has a lot of positive reviews. The reason I call him a bit of a mystery man right now is because the question NFL teams will have is how much of this offensive improvement is due to Gary Kubiak being there in Minnesota. That is not to take away from Stefanski. It's not at all. He's done a great job there this year. He really has. But teams will sit there and wonder how much of this is Kubiak or how much of this is Kubiak mentoring him. Because if it's the latter, that's fine. I mean, all of these guys have come from a tree of learning from somewhere when you really look at it. I mean, McDaniel with Shanahan is a very, very obvious one. Now, Stefanski working with Kubiak. But I go with the Carolina Panthers in this spot because I think this is a an owner that'll be looking to make a young hire. This is an owner that will be bold. And this is an owner that will look across the league and look at the numbers and see how successful Minnesota has been on offense And that'll be something very important to him. Now, the question you'll have to bring up with the Panthers is, we don't know what ownership is looking for right now. That's the question. Because they just fired a great coach in Ron Rivera. And I'm not saying that was wrong. Because you can make the argument, sometimes it's just over for both sides. But at the end of the day, when you fire a really good head coach, you are setting expectations extremely high. And that's why I think it'll be somebody very young where they'll look for the boomer bust kind of hire. All right, last one on this list. You can't not talk about him because he's in the news nonstop. Mike McCarthy. McCarthy has reportedly been hiring coaches this year that are aiding him in where the NFL is going, the general direction of the league, specifically on offense, with the offensive concepts, with offensive personnel. McCarthy is not going to excite a lot of fan bases. Now, I do think he's somebody that can rebound. I thought he needed a year off from how I, what I heard about his interviews. It seemed like he was a little bit checked out, a little bit just past his time. And whether that means he needs to hang it up for good or he just needed the year off to recharge, refresh, and sit back and look at everything from afar is what teams are going to be wondering. But if you've been listening to this entire segment, that's a lot of jobs opening up for head coaches. And there will always be guys that stay and wait. And when you look at these eight jobs, the eighth being who I'm going to attach Mike McCarthy to, is the Washington Redskins, somebody's going to be left in a tough spot. And when you look at Washington right now, they could potentially be one of the least attractive options because how things have generally gone there under ownership of the last decade. What makes them a potentially attractive option is two things, money and power. If Bruce Allen's gone, the doors open wide for this job because somebody can come in there and be the CEO of the Redskins football operations. And that means the draft. That means the hiring of the staff. That means basically signing free agents and doing the trades as they please. And I think when football teams often do that or ownership does that, they gear towards an experienced guy. And sometimes it fails. Tom Coughlin. 
But once in a while, or it, it definitely has its success, I think we've especially seen it. Andy Reid is really a CEO of the Chiefs. Veach does a great job over there. Mike Borgonzi does a great job over there. They've had great scouts. But Andy is very, very influential in a lot of the decisions the teams make. So for Mike McCarthy, I think he would love one of those jobs. I think an owner like Snyder will lean towards an older guy. And we're, we're going to talk about that football team nonstop because they're one of the most interesting for our show because they fall into the category of building, building from scratch. What's the future of Dwayne Haskins? Can they get Chase Young? What does this defense look like? What does the staff look like? How do they draft this year without a second-round pick? What do they get for Trent Williams? But when you look at Mike McCarthy, I think teams will at least listen to him and see if he's recharged. And he's going to be one of the interesting coaching interviews across this wild head coaching cycle. All right, we're back to close out the show here with your draft on draft questions. This first one from Damn Supa. Based solely on catching ability, is it wrong to rate CeeDee Lamb higher than Jerry Judy? Absolutely not. I think in terms of just tracking the football and strong hands, CeeDee Lamb is on another planet compared to Jerry Judy. I really do. Now, where these guys will be evaluated on across the board is Judy's going to run probably significantly faster. I think Judy will be a 4-3-5 player. I think CeeDee Lamb will be a 4-5-4 kind of player. That's that's a lot of time when you're evaluating these guys as potential top 10 picks. Uh, After the catch, I think they're different players. I think Judy is electric with a one-cut-and-go kind of move. And I think Lamb is tougher. I think he'll run through you. And because tacklers fear how much he runs through people, they're hesitating. And now you're seeing him juke, spin, stutter, stiff arm. I think when you look at them both, it's interesting. Because CD is going to be a no for a lot of old school scouts on the fact of his running or lack thereof speed. I think that's absolute bullshit, and I think that I actually think Lamb is the best wide receiver in this class right now, and I love Jerry Judy. I would take either of them in the top 10 in the blink of an eye. I think Judy is somebody that's safer because he's quicker and is a better route runner, and he played in a tougher conference. I think CD is a weird outlier like Hopkins was where he's not going to run by a lot of people, but he will physically wear you down. He will catch the ball over you. He will snatch the ball away from you. He'll go over the middle of the field. And in the fourth quarter, he's the guy that's going to punch you in the mouth on his way to the end zone to make a play. So, and I actually think something with Lamb that I haven't talked about enough is something we talk about on the show every year. You need to factor in build-up speed. The 40 time is going to cater to guys that have great acceleration. CD is somebody when he gets to that second leg and he builds up momentum, he has a gear that is good enough a gear where he can run away from people in the open field. So I love the question because it is a truly a trait-specific question. CeeDee Lamb is, is just way better at the aspects of catching the football, which is just tracking in strong hands right now. We've seen some drops from Judy this year. For how, all of his greatness, we've seen some drops, and you see drops from great wide receivers all the time. All right, next up from Billy Mustafa, what's the possibility of a straight trade of Trubisky for Cam? Does that make any sense, or is it dreamland? So uh, this was a longer question from Billy that I condensed, but his overall point was that it would give Trubisky a chance to go back to Carolina, and 
you know, maybe develop in a situation where there's less, uh, there's more patience. And for Cam, it's a place to go where, you know, a team that wants to win now and needs more from the quarterback position. I don't think this trade has a chance. Uh, I think the Panthers hold Cam in higher regard. I think the money would not really, they wouldn't want to take on Trubisky. And I think for the Bears, they're going to have to figure out cap problems of their own. And I think when you look at this overall situation, though, if Cam is moved, it, it could be a trade actually where Cam is moved and maybe some money is swapped in the deal. But on the flip side, the Panthers get a good asset, whether that's a second or first round pick. I don't think they'll move him just to move him is the overall point. And I think wisely so. The Panthers want to see if Cam can get healthy and get right after being off this year. Because when Cam is healthy and Cam is right, you have yourself a top 12 quarterback in the league. So for the for the Panthers, they don't want to just dump him. And for the Bears, they have a fascinating situation on their hands at quarterback. This next one from Wyatt. With the way Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, and Travis Etienne are playing, why don't they get top 10 love slash buzz like Zeke Gurley and Saquon did? That's a great question. And I think it's a mix of two things. One, I think nobody in this class will have the grades that the NFL had on Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Todd Gurley. Whether you agree or disagree with that is another conversation. I actually think for me, DeAndre Swift will be pretty close to Gurley and maybe Zeke. Saquon will grade out higher than anyone. He, he will. But teams are waiting on running back. They... I mean, you look at the Giants right now, for all Saquon's greatness, you almost can't justify taking a running back in the top top couple picks anymore. It's so hard to do. And another reason they're not getting top 10 love buzz is because they're canceling each other out. Teams are looking, and they sit there, and they go, well, if DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor go in the first round, we don't care because we like Travis Etienne and J.K. Dobbins or Najee Harris. Or Keyshawn Vaughn. I, I could do this. I could sit here all day and give you 9 million running backs of why they won't take one in the first round. I actually think the trickle effect is going to be so big that it's going to go into the third round. We saw David Montgomery fall to the third round last year. And if the Raiders didn't, the Raiders were in love with Josh Jacobs, and Josh Jacobs is a great player. The long term health concerns were the one thing teams were wondering about. I don't think Jacobs would have went in the first round if it wasn't for Oakland having three first-round picks. So I think Swift can sneak in. Taylor might sneak in. Etienne and, and Najee and J.K. Dobbins should go in the second round. If one of them sitting there in the third, I wouldn't even be the slightest bit surprised. It, it's such a stacked position. We just saw Boston Scott on Monday Night Football become a thing. Boston Scott. So that's why teams will sit there and go, we're not using our first round. The, the best team builders right now, if it's not a, an elite player, they're getting premium positions with their top picks because those premium positions are gone by the top outside of the top 50. All right, last one of the day from Tommy Tankers. If you had to pick the best offense, defense, special teams, and coaching staff to make an ultimate team of the college football, te- the playoff teams, who are you picking? So it's tricky because you look at the offense and you could take any of the four. I'm going to go with LSU because I think Burrow is playing with a confidence right now that is unrivaled by any of the other three quarterbacks. I think that 
the wide receiver core of LSU is unbelievable. Clemson is very close as a whole, and they've won a national title, this group. That's what's insane. T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Travis Etienne. It's a now thing. If I was taking one for the NFL, I would take Clemson. But right now, I think LSU is playing with such an absurd confidence that I'd go with their offense. When you look at the defenses, you could rule out Oklahoma right away. I think I'll go with Ohio State because I think Chase Young can take over games. I think Jeff Okuda is the best defensive back in the entire country by a mile. And I think that's all that matters when you have a star on the front end, star on the back end. They have experience. They did leave the middle of the field wide open a couple of times in the Big Ten Championship, but this is a very good team, and I think this is the best defense in the college football playoff. For special teams, it's a bit of a toss-up for me. It, it really is. I don't know which direction I would go with that route. Now, you have to like I, – I love C.D. Lamb as a punt returner, so I would maybe lean towards Oklahoma, as crazy as that is. But you can go with any of the special teams units here. And I think that when you look at it, you know, when you go back to the conversation of the offenses and defenses, it's so close. I mean, it's so ridiculously close. And another thing on special teams with Oklahoma is that their kicker uh, has been, you know, they've had they've been very reliable, I think, at times this year where. I think you're looking for reliability. You don't have a kicker in this right now, I don't think, where like Rodrigo from Georgia or I think the Iowa kicker. Special teams is tough. I'm like spinning in circles here with that one. It's very, very difficult. And maybe somebody will have a special teams moment, and you could just wait and see. So I lied. One bonus question here because we do have some time before we close out the show. Dan Kiefer says, who are the early 2020 defense for Heisman picks? I mean, Thibodeau on Oregon has lit the world on fire. Stingley from LSU for a corner is going to get some love, which is really, really exciting. I think those are the 1A and 1B kind of guys going into the year. Now, as when we catch up on more summer tape, there's always somebody that stands out. It's been fun doing it for two years right now because I remember going into 2018, Ed Oliver was the guy, and then Quinton Williams had a great year. But Ed Oliver was the guy. It's like, man, could we get this guy in the Heisman campaign? It was a tough year at Houston to do that. I think this year it was always about Chase Young. It really was. And it was actually really exciting to see him legitimately be at number one in the conversation at one point in time of the overall Heisman rankings and going to New York now. So it's one of my favorite things we've done on the show because it's unique. And I think we'll actually have a list of our top five as we do every year, probably closer to June. But Thibodeau is the guy just because the sack numbers count so much. When you're getting after the quarterback, that's what's going to get you on the podium. So uh, that's a tradition that's not going to go away from this show. For everyone that stuck around today, really appreciate you hanging with me. Uh, Matt is expected to be back for the Friday show. Mello will be back on for the Friday show. We'll have a really fun one as we talk about how this playoff is breaking down. Of course, we'll get you a top five. Maybe we'll even sneak in a lot of our NFL talk then since we didn't fix a team or do a ton of NFL talk overall in this show of what's going on week to week. So I will catch you guys Friday. Thanks again. See you later.